Hello, and welcome to Exploring Axon, a podcast where we discuss Axon Framework, Axon Server, and their ecosystem. I am your host and a software developer at Axonic, Sarah Tori. In this episode, I spoke with my two colleagues, Sarah Pellegrini and Milan Savage. In this talk, we focused on the challenges of going from a monolithic system to distributed systems, if there is a need for it. We focused on two main areas, both very technical, but one focusing a bit more on the design portion of things and the business side of things. We talked about message dispatching and data storage. We discussed the possibilities to enhance the performance and uh, make things a bit easier when going into distributed systems and ways that we can make it a little bit more feasible for teams and also for the design of the systems. In this first portion of our talk, we focused on data storage. I hope you enjoy the conversation and let's have a listen. Hello, hello, Sarah and Milan. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always great to have you both back and uh, talk about some really great stuff with you. Um, how are you doing? And we have a lot to talk about, but yeah, let's start by how have you been and what have you been up to? You did something really cool last week, so tell us a little bit about it. So yes, yes, we had a very great uh, week last week. We were in Malaga for a G on the Beach conference. Uh, we had a very great time there and met a lot of interesting people and uh, we presented a talk uh, about distributed systems. Fantastic. And uh, Milan, how was it for you? I was uh, thoroughly jealous of both of you, of course, in a beautiful place in Spain and uh, talking to some really great people. How was it? Yeah, it was really great. I was there for the third time, second time nice. as a speaker. And this time I went for the full week. So it was fantastic. The weather was great. And of course, the conference was really good. A lot of good speakers, uh, a lot of good content, great audience, a lot of discussions about various topics. Really nice. Yeah. And I heard you both had a full house, which, which is always nice to have a lot of uh, people join and uh, talk about some of the things that you're passionate about, which is really great. And um, so with that said, we are going to talk about the uh, same topic today because um, you both were very generous to offer this to everybody who was not there at the conference and uh, can have access to this amazing talk so that we can share the knowledge a little bit more um, widely. So with no further ado, let's get to it. Um, so you guys were talking about distributed systems and how fun it is <laughs> to be in distributed systems, but there's always a catch, right? So um, let's talk about why is it um, sort of uh, on, on the surface. And I, and I love, I wish I could uh, show these slides as we were talking about it because you had this amazing picture of this wonderful distributed set of islands and the waters look calm and beautiful and there's a boat there, but then we don't know what's going on underneath the surface. So uh, let's go back a little bit and talk about that monolith and why that monolith was great and worked for so long and why are we trying to get to distributed systems now? So um, yeah, let's let's get started with that. Sarah, if you don't mind to get us um, yeah, started yeah. and going. Yeah. So it is true because uh, some years ago uh, with always uh, were, were used to deal with monolith. And um, uh, even if there was some problem, uh, because it was uh, not so 
uh, friendly, right? Uh, it was uh, a little bit heavy to manipulate, but also uh, the, there was a lot of good thing in the monolith because it was uh, easy to deploy and to debug, uh, easy to configure. So you have all the components uh, in the same uh, deployable. So there were uh, some benefits. Uh, unfortunately, um, the, the during the year, the, the modern application have become more and more demanding in terms of flexibility, uh, scalability. You have uh, many teams working on the same project, so, so each team maybe want to have different uh, uh, release cycle to be more independent. So there are needs that are not uh, in line with always with the monolith. There are some components that are heavily um, under development, so the requirements change very often. And... Uh, not always the monolith was able to keep up with with these needs. Yeah, and it's interesting when you mentioned that because uh, the way I think about it sometimes as well is that especially since the pandemic started and now we're working more in distributed systems physically, we don't have that, uh, you know, back in the day where you could all um, get together in your team and go to an office and sit together and work on a project. Now we're sort of more distributed and how can we... Um, you know, overcome those challenges. We're kind of talking about the same uh, sort of challenge in um, software, basically here, which where uh, we had that monolith and it was useful for a period of time. But now as the systems are growing and you have various needs and various teams working on uh, the same kind of, um, not necessarily application, but systems, we have this need to go into distributed systems. So now that we've decided, yes, distributed systems are a good solution, let's... Uh, Let's go a little bit, maybe let's go a little bit uh, more into detail with that. So Milan, if you if you like to get us started with that. Yeah, again, I would like to emphasize that only if you need to. Uh, a lot of yes, these, of course. <laughs> a lot of these demands can be met uh, with having, I don't know, you, you mentioned, for example, having different teams working on the on the product. They want to have different repository, different build cycle, release cycle, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe... Uh, you can still deploy that as a single monolith. So you can compose those components. They don't have to be services into a single component and then uh, deploy that. But of course, there are cases where you just cannot do it. And we talked about that. We focused on two uh, aspects of distributed systems. Uh, one is uh, data storage. So what are the challenges that we face uh, when we want to store our data uh, um, on uh, different machines and what are the challenge challenges when we want to distribute messages across those services um, and yeah those were two main topics that we covered great and one of them is a bit more um, design related than the other so um, I'll, I'll let you talk a little bit more about that uh, because at the end of the day they're all they were basically boil down to be technical as well, uh, but one more so than the other. So let's talk about the data storage first. Um, so how can we um, sort of overcome this question, this big question of data storage? So Milan. Yeah, so data storage is something that we usually take for granted. Um, it should not depend, and usually in a lot of cases, it does not depend on the domain uh, that you are dealing with. It depends on the storage mechanisms that you want to use. So all the challenges and all solutions that we have in data storage area are basically technical. 
for example, one of them is data availability. Uh, we want to have our data available. Um, if we have our data storage deployed on a single instance, if that instance is down, of course, we have an issue, right? Uh, our data is not going to be available. So we want to have uh, different uh, machines that are going to have the same data. So when one of them or several of them are down, we can still access our data and our uh, whole system can continue functioning. Right. Mm -hmm. So how can we um, basically distribute the data? Is there a, um, a best practices that we can use? Um, maybe Sarah, you can elaborate on that a little bit more. Yeah, so replicate data across a distributed system is not a, a trivial operation. So lucky for us, um, it, there are some algorithms, some technique, let's uh, uh, protocol to be more precise, that uh, allows us to distribute in a safe way, uh, guaranteeing consistency uh, of the data. So basically, these are called uh, consensus protocol. And um, basically, uh, they work... Um, uh, in, in a way that uh, the one node that is a leader uh, can replicate uh, this uh, information, the instruction across uh, the uh, cluster itself, sending it to all the other nodes. And uh, when it receives a confirmation and acknowledgement from the other nodes, it can mark this uh, instruction as committed. At this point, all the nodes can apply this instruction in order to modify, to modify the state machine. Um, so basically, one of the protocol of distributed consensus protocol that um, is very understandable is Raft, and this is the one that we chosen for the implementation of our product. It's uh, very easy to be. Um, Understand, not so easy to be implemented because there are a lot of aspects <laughs> that you need to take care. But uh, yes, we, we uh, use this, uh, this protocol just because it is very, very clear to understand. And uh, even if uh, um, it's a protocol that uh, uh, requires a leader, uh, it, we, we notice that in practice, it is not a bottleneck in uh, in terms of writing operation because uh, our implementation is uh, pretty performant, even in case of heavy load. Right. And um, Milan, you and I uh, recorded an episode um, long, long ago on Raft <laughs> protocol. Uh, but just uh, to kind of recap it a little bit, um, as Sarah mentioned, we have a leader and uh, we have other nodes that are basically followers. Um, so, and as uh, she mentioned just a moment ago, we use this protocol because of its uh, uh, in technical technicality, maybe simple, but practicality is a little bit different. It's it's a, a challenging one at at times. But can you talk a little bit about uh, the RAF protocol? Just a, a little bit of a short recap and uh, how you you choose the leader. Is the leader chosen automatically? How do we uh, then manage this uh, sort of election system a little bit. Yeah, so I feel like a parrot because we talked about this uh, a lot of time, but definitely, <laughs> yes. yeah, definitely uh, something that we should rehash several times because we face uh, questions a lot, a lot of questions yeah, exactly. about this one. Yeah. So uh, in order to replicate something, you need to have a leader. So in our event store, all events are totally ordered for a certain context. 
and this leader will give us the sequence of those events. If we have only one machine, determining that sequence, basically we don't have any fear that any other machine in the class will have a different sequence. As long as we, we have that leader, uh, we can assume that our cluster can replicate data. But what happens if that leader fails? If that leader fails, of course, we need to elect a new one. Um, in our case, that process is automatic, so no manual uh, recovery is needed. Uh, once other nodes figure out that the leader is not responding, basically they do not receive some messages from uh, it in a certain period of time, they will start the process that is called an uh, election. After that process is done, once uh, candidates uh, for the new leader receive uh, votes, then uh, the one that received the most votes will be elected and it will serve as the new leader. Sarah also mentioned the uh, scalability. Um, now that leader will receive all write operations while reading uh, can be done on different nodes. The question is why? And the answer is really simple. Uh, it is because we are really, really lucky and we are in the e e event sourcing world where all uh, events are immutable. So they are not to be deleted or, um, or altered. Mm -hmm. And basically, if you're reading from a follower that does not have maybe the most recent data, and uh, bear in mind that we are talking about milliseconds usually here, depending on the location of the servers, uh, they're just going to be a little bit behind. If you want the most recent data, then you go to leader. But if you want to be a little bit more performant, your Exxon server cluster to be a little bit more performant, then you can go to other replicas and read the data com completely fine. Yeah, perfect. And you mentioned the word that I um, wanted to use to segment to the next section, which is performant. So how are we using this uh, in to benefit the performance? So Sarah, if you can talk a little bit about that. So the, the first thing is what uh, Milan already mentioned, that is basically horizontal scalability. Uh, in other uh, terms, you can increase the number of nodes uh, anytime you need to, to um, handle high, very high load in terms of reading. So, of course, all the data can be read from uh, any node as the, all the node contains the same information. And if you have more data, you can scale up um, in terms of uh, reading uh, availability. But uh, the problem is uh, in writing. writing the, the writing operation cannot benefit from, uh, uh, from the increased number of nodes, as Milan mentioned. Right. Um, in terms of um, performance, we can also take advantage of uh, uh, storage layers. Uh, as the basically uh, sometimes you need to uh, use uh, some uh, nodes that have a storage that is uh, not so performant uh, for uh, saving the full history of events, right? Because it can be very, very huge. Uh, but you want to be very, very performant for reading the uh, latest event that happened uh, in the in the last period of time. So these events are the ones that are considered more hot uh, in the sense that they are re read more frequently. So it must be uh, accessed very fast. And uh, what uh, you can do is to use basically different storage layer, uh, primary 
or a secondary surrogate layer. Basically, the primary nodes will contain only the last part uh, of events, and it will store the events in a very, very fast storage. And the secondary node can store all the events in a, in a storage that is uh, not so performant, but cheaper. So in, a, in, in using the cluster as a whole, you achieve uh, uh, improved performances. Yeah, makes sense. And um, you also discussed uh, sharding. Can we talk a little bit about that as well, Milan? Yeah. Uh, so sharding is something that Action Server still does not have to offer uh, because we still did not have uh, any customer that would require it. However, the people are asking about it uh, more and more. So definitely something to, uh, to consider for the future maybe even in the next uh, minor release or definitely in the major release, I would say. Uh, so that's a technique that just inherently by uh, having an idea to have a smaller subset of the whole set of events on one machine, you're already more performant because you have to deal with much less data than uh, essentially with the, the whole stream. Um, so how it works uh, generally is that you have a function that will be calculated based on the data that you want to store. Uh, that value is called the sharding key and that value deterministically uh, determines the server that is responsible for storing that data. So if I'm server A, I receive some data. If it belongs to me based on the sharding key, then I'm going to store it uh, locally. If it does not, then I'm going to forward it to the server that is responsible for storing that data. Essentially, that's the whole idea behind it. Mm. Sounds easy, but I'm sure it's much more complex <laughs> when it's put in okay. practice. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Absolutely. So um, that's great. So we did cover um, quite a bit about uh, uh, the data storage and how we can um, um, optimize it and um, um, uh, kind of overcome these challenges by um, using storage layers, horizontal scalability, sharding were some of the items that we discussed. Now let's go back and uh, talk a little bit about the design aspect of it, as we um, mentioned a little bit ago, uh, which um, in this case, we want to talk a little bit about message dispatching. Now we've had um, several previous talks about um, you know message buses and message-driven architecture and things like that. But let's uh, go a little bit maybe more high level and uh, talk about how can we um, help ourselves basically in this kind of distributed environment uh, by using the messages. So, um, Sarah, if you can get us started with that. Yeah, basically, um, what um, when we when we deal with the message-driven application, it's very important to know that we um, should distinguish uh, between uh, different kind of messages. Not all messages are the same, right? And uh, basically, what we use. Um, uh, in order to to try to uh, explain uh, the, the the problems that you can uh, encounter in a distributed environment is to make uh, an example a sample use case uh, that uh, just give uh, you an idea of the different kind of messages that we you can encounter so the example uh, that we chosen is an e-commerce that is very common and understandable from everybody uh, so a customer want to buy something and uh, what happened the system can send basically a command for confirm the order so a confirm order commands uh, this command is uh, in case uh, the system is uh, implemented as a distributed um, 
system of microservices, uh, the, this command is dispatched to uh, the proper uh, component that is capable of handling this specific command. And as a consequence, uh, this component will evaluate if the uh, order can be confirmed, and if it can, it will be it will publish an event, a fact, basically um, a notification that the order has been uh, confirmed. This event will be distributed to the others component that are interested in it. And uh, each of them may react in a different way, accordingly with, the, with their responsibility, right? So um, if we want, for, uh, for example, for ship the confirmed order, uh, read the list of the order that uh, has been confirmed, we can send a query to the system. So in this case, it's not important uh, what uh, we require, but more what we receive as a result. So that, uh, um, if you want, maybe, Milan, you can elaborate better about these three kind of uh, uh, messages. messages that we have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, so Sarah mentioned several messages being dispersed here. Uh, the first one that we have is command, basically a request uh, to change something within our system. Okay, I want to buy this specific product. Uh, that message is routed to a single component that can handle it. Uh, the routing mechanism is uh, interesting here because uh, it is not a pub-sub that we want to use here. We don't want yeah. to inform all other components. We want to direct only to one. So probably we can use something, some techniques, for example, like consistent hashing that are going to give us unanimously uh, one destination. Um, about the results of handling a command, we are usually not interested because we want to observe that. Uh, we want to uh, make our system not so synchronous and wait for that response, but we want to make it more asynchronous and to expose some APIs where we can check uh, the results of handling that command. So usually we're just interested whether that command was accepted by the system or, or not. Mm -hmm. And the second type of messages are events. Uh, there we are completely uninterested in, um, um, in the result of handling those events. Here we are uh, probably going to use in our implementation PubSub as a routing mechanism uh, because we want to distribute events to all uh, components that are interested in. And events essentially represent a fact that something important, something relevant to our system has happened. The last type of message that we have uh, are queries. Uh, those uh, queries could be routed to several components, depending whether we want to uh, scatter our query and then gather all the results, or we are interesting. I mean, any component can uh, respond to us, then any one is the best one. Uh, here we are really interested in the type of the response and the actual response, because we want to get, uh, for example, the address for this specific order to be uh, used for our delivery truck to deliver the, the goods to our customer. All right, makes sense. And those are basically, yeah. So um, one thing that you mentioned about uh, command, sorry to interrupt you, was um, uh, we, we're interested in doing this asynchronously. Um, 
Can you talk a little bit about that? Why do we want to do this asynchronously? Are, are we thinking about performance? Are we thinking about do we want to get this done as fast as possible? We don't really care about the result at this point. Is that why we're using asynchronous methods here? Uh, so basically, uh, this is where design comes into place. If you design right. your API uh, to be async in this way, I am going to send an instruction. I'm going to get an ID for uh, to refer to this operation that I uh, initiated, and then I can refer to it. Then I'm telling you as a user of my system that uh, I embrace asynchronicity, that this process might be too long to be executed, might be mm -hmm. uh, taken from some different component. I don't want you to wait for this process to be uh, done, not only that it is not convenient for you to wait, but also it is not convenient for me to keep resources uh, for you until Held I Held up, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Right. So if we uh, bake that into our design, we are going to have a lot of flexibility. If you are asynchronous by nature, then our implementation details will not leak outside. I see. That makes sense. And um, as you were mentioning uh, for queries, and I, uh, sorry, I interrupted you there. You were talking about different types of queries, which uh, we discussed um, in the past uh, a little bit too, uh, which is uh, one of them was single point query, uh, scatter gather query, and also mm -hmm. uh, subscription query. So those are some of the types of queries that um, we are talking about here as well, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Excellent. Thank you for listening to my talk with Sarah and Milan. I hope you enjoyed it. Please join me next time for the second part of my conversation with Sarah in Milan, focusing more on message distribution. Until then, have a great time and happy coding.